0: And the S&P, the this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Full Money, our special Sunday mailbag edition. That's right, it's Sunday, but we're here again because, frankly, wild horses couldn't keep us away. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, and particularly on this Sunday, Dr. Nibam Mahati. How are you, Doc?
1: Good, Captain. I am very good, actually. It's are nice you? and bright Sunday, Thursday something. <laughs>
0: It is, it is Thursday, but we're pretending it Sunday through the, the magic of the podcast machine. We can, we can release this on Sunday, even though we're recording it on Thursday. Mate, I, I mean, well, this is all around the country, all around the world, which is exciting, but it is a cracking autumn day in the New South Wales, Southern Highlands. today. So, can I tell you, the sun is streaming through my window. There's not a cloud out there. It is, it is a great day.
1: Yeah, that's what I was saying too. It's beautiful, bright. you know, I like actually winter days, um, you know, and, and, in the, and in this particular room, we've got light that comes from both sides, which I really love. Nice. Winter, I, I love the winter sunshine because it, it really is, it's, it's, I hate, I don't really like the summer sunshine, but I love the winter sunshine. So.
0: Very good. Well, it's almost winter, not quite. You know what? You know what? I don't, I can actually, I'm okay with that. I hate not having daylight saving with a passion. I hate it getting dark early. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you want to know no, you know I No, I, oh. no, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, if I, if it was up to me, I would not even move these clocks and stuff like that. You know, it just seems too hard moving clocks up and down, too complex.
0: Man, it, it all happens automatically these days. What clocks are they there to change? Back in the old days, there were sixteen clocks around the
1: house to change. And now it's all automatic. That is true. We don't even have a clock and you know, like I mean, it's on the phone. So yeah. Yeah, but still. we have a microwave clock, one on the wall, and the
0: two cars, that's it.
1: So um, I my microwave clock is set to zero. Zero 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 zero. <laughs> 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 and it's it stay it'll stay that until it can actually automatically set its time.
0: So are you gonna are you in line for a, a Wi Fi enabled microwave just for that purpose? Would you do that?
1: Well, well, you know, I would, well, not really Wi-Fi, but I need a microwave that can, uh, you know, automatically cook and stuff. There like, you go. if it can take out stuff from my fridge and cook for me, <laughs> I think I'm at that level. <laughs> Similarly, you I'm know, okay. in, you know in, in one car, you know, the, it doesn't automatically change time. So I have not bothered even changing it. Just set it to <laughs> zero, zero. It's always like zero, zero. All right,
0: Mike. Enough banter. Should we get on with the Mavic? Yeah, let's do it. Let's rip it over. We've got lots to go through. I'm going to set us a, a task of some description. i trying to get through as many questions as we can. I'm going to desperately try to repeat stuff you've said. Let's see how many we can get through because we've got a backlog, as I mentioned, on Friday. We'll do our level best. Here we go. A question from Tom. He says, hi, team. I've been reading your articles for a while now and decided to dive into share trading. Over the course of the last few weeks, I've managed to see a 21% profit in my investments. What on earth should I do now? Should I continue to hold, sell and reinvest? Buy more of my listings? I see a lot of articles on what to do to enter, which have been very helpful, thank you, but nothing on what to do next. Thanks heaps, Tom. Doc, Tom's entered the market in a very, very nice time. He's been listening. We've talked about the fact that shares are probably inexpensive relative to their long-term value and he's bought some, which is great. Um, we probably should tell Tom, it's not always that easy, right? 21% in a few weeks is lovely, but other than when we're coming out of a, uh, a market crash caused by a pandemic, you're not going to get 21% a month anytime soon. What do you want to tell Tom about how he
1: needs to invest moving forward? Okay, so what, one of the things is I would not, uh, you know, the, the, one of the risks of starting so well is that you you expect that is how it is. It's, you know, you can't have 21% compounded monthly. Um, You shouldn't expect that, right? I mean, actually 20% a year would be like fabulous return, right? Uh, You know, nobody should even expect that. So so it's great, you know, good timing, but, you know, your timing is not going to be perfect every time. Uh, That's number one thing to remember. Number two thing, stocks do go up and they do go down. However, stocks on average go up over the long time. So that's the yeah. other thing to remember. I think the most important thing I can say is that you know if you're you know if you're young and you have a long you know earning life ahead of you just you know continually invest dollar cost average buy into good stocks over a period of time and you know just watch the compounding do its magic, you know it's it, the compounding magic really starts showing up after like you know the year 10, right? And it sounds like it's sounds bad of me, maybe in a way to say, "Oh, you have to wait ten years." But you know, after year ten, you know, it starts showing up. After the you know, then when you go from ten to fifteen, it's like, "Okay, wow, did that happen?" And from fifteen to twenty, it's like, "Okay, wow, did that happen?" <laughs> uh, so, but but it's the first few years might not might seem like it's not much, nothing much is happening because you know, uh, again, the compounding just needs time. So that's the thing. You know, dollar cost average, compound, buying the best stocks. Um, that you know, that you can, that you love. And uh, yeah, just keep repeating and just don't expect 21% every month.
0: Good advice. I'll add to that very briefly to say, Tom, uh, you've done well. First thing I'd say is don't use the word share trading, use the words investing, because share trading makes it sound like you're going to be buying, selling, buying, selling. And that to our uh, experience is not a great way to try and go about building wealth. Um, because if you're trying to roll the dice over and over again, and you're trying to get in and out, in and out the chance you roll a zero at some point is too high. So I would avoid trading and think about investing. Um, also look, you've, as Doc said, you've done well over the past few weeks. That's great. Um, but you're probably now thinking you're pretty good at this or that you're good at picking stocks or that, you know, when they go down next, you'll feel a bit unhappy. Um, you want to buy stocks that have great five plus year you know, trajectories. You want to be looking for business that's going to be much bigger in five or 10 years from now. In a perfect world, you, you may never sell some stocks. I mean, if you, can, if you can buy an Apple that goes on to be a world beater for 100 years, then you, you never got to sell that. You just got to literally let it do its thing. So the answer probably is, what do I do now? Hopefully, nothing. Other than those stocks that keep investing certainly don't sell for the sake of it. Now, if you bought some stocks you got lucky on, you don't really know why you bought them or you don't really know their long-term futures, then I, I'd probably say maybe you actually do want to sell because you want to be reinvesting that in, in companies that have long-term great compounding futures, rather than trying to make these kind of weekly, monthly bets and hope you're right. Uh, again, hard for, hard for you to hear that probably after a 21% gain, you're thinking, hang on, what are these old blokes? No, I'm doing pretty well. So if I keep doing what I'm doing, thank you very much. Um, generally speaking though, if I made 21% on a company in a few weeks uh, that I, in fact I have, I mean, some of that I own my portfolio just because they're bounced back from their lows. Um, you know, what am I doing with them? Nothing because I bought them for, for five year time horizons, right, so there's no there's nothing changing other than the price. Uh, so I'm going to keep hold of them because I still like them. If that's you, hang on. If it's not, it's just look for those companies that do have that sort of time horizon for you. All right, let's move on to a question from Luke, Doc. He says, uh, <laughs> here's one I want you to have a, have a go at, mate. I, I, we got a question. Um, sorry, a question from Maddie, so I should say. Uh, just use the first name, please. I've done that. A question for the podcast. Love your work, guys. Thank you, Maddie. What should we make of Valpara's capital raising? I've read the report, and it's hard to see through the company's optimism. But the market has responded negatively. Hard to know what to make of it as a rookie and amateur. Keep up the good work, from Matty. Now, uh, Volpara, obviously. Doc, give us give us a quick thirty second thing about what Valpara does, and then maybe to the extent we can make it about more than Valpara, just capital raises in general, or what the market might be seeing or not seeing. What's kind of going on that we can we can help our listeners learn from.
1: Well, right. so so Wolfpack is a is a software, is a basically a software business, and what it does is it provides um, software that breast cancer clinics use to augment the breast cancer screening process. It makes the screening process more efficient. It makes the screening process better. It provides objective scores from the breast cancer screening, which is basically effectively the X-rays or mammograms that you get, and then it becomes a store of a database of not just the patients, but the information and, and so on. So it's, that's what it does. It does a few other things. It's got a patient information system now uh, that it purchased from a company in the U.S. Um, and it's most of his business, 90% of his business is, is based in the States. Mm. So that's what it does. Um, it has got a bit, a bit of a tailwind there because this, this concept of quantifying what is known as the breast density uh, and quantifying and actually coming up with a score or a grade it, it used mm-hmm. to be very subjective, but these guys have made it very objective. And that's important because that has been shown to have links to um, you know, how you want to screen patients because it has links to, uh, or there's studies that show that there's links with respect to how susceptible women are to uh, getting breast cancer. So it's, cool. it's, a, yeah, it's very cool. Yes, very cool tech. Um, and, and it's basically computer images and you know, it's image processing that they're using. Um, in this, so it's a relatively small company, and uh, just like any other company, so in terms of the capital raised, right, a lot of companies right now are raising capital because it's an uncertain environment. You don't know what will happen in the future. This is a company that's not yet profitable, and it doesn't yet generate, um, you know, cash from operations. And cash flow from operations effectively mean the cash flow from operations minus any investments that it needs to make, right? Um, so it's negative, which means it's burning capital. Uh, and if it's burning capital, and it's burning capital largely to grow um, its, its footprint, right? It's, it's yeah. roughly in about 25% of the US breast cancer clinic, uh, screening clinics. And it wants to, you know, increase that footprint uh, substantially. Okay. Um, so that's what I was doing, and uh, you know, when capital may become scarce, could become scarce in every company. You know, so I don't think they needed to raise capital at this point, but it okay. is better to raise capital before you need it, because yes. if you raise capital, if you're raising capital when you need it, you really are going to get a substantially discounted equity price. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it was a relatively smart move. I don't think they needed, I didn't think that they needed it, but it was good. Uh, they just reported today the, the fourth quarter, uh, you know, the, the 4C that they launched. Okay. Uh, that this, and uh, strange enough, their quarter was actually the strongest fourth quarter, I believe, uh, that they've had. So they actually had very good results. Their oh, The annual recurring revenue grew 20% over the, um, or the new annual recurring revenue that they added grew 20% over the prior year. Um, so the, so it looks like they haven't been in impacted, because again, it's a, it's a healthcare necessity product. If, if things were in the pipeline for sales, um, it's likely unlikely to be impacted, but that doesn't mean that it wouldn't be impacted. So, you know, I'm very pleased. It looks like the average revenue per user uh, is also mm. going up largely because, you know, there are a bunch of products now instead of having one product that they could sell. So they could, they could, they're actually able to sell multiple products, which is a common way to increase the revenue that you generate effectively per, per unit of sale. Mm. Um, to a clinic, right? So so that's also going up. So it's overall pleasing um, a quarterly update from them. Um, are they being overly cautious? Maybe, but you know, it's a, it's a growth company that is likely to need capital for some time because it's not yet profitable. So right. uh, neither here, neither there. Uh, could they raise it at $2 when it was a $2 share? They should have, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. like any other company I would say, but you know.
0: Um, I 2020, it, right?
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know, they're raising it like thirty-five, which is a fair bit of discount from the highs. But, you know, yeah, I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with this capital raise because I think it's, it's more of a precautionary raise, more of a growth capital versus being a desperation capital.
0: So what's what is the market? What did the market like? The obviously, you know, question of may saying the shares responded negatively. Is it just a case of there's just something more more money now being thrown out? We've all got smaller pieces of the pie, so it's worth less per share, or is there something else going on?
1: So I think when the when the capital raise was done, I think this four C hadn't come in. So the market it's actually up today um, nice. um, a fair bit. Uh, on on the news, I mean, again, like ultimately, it's dilution, right? Whenever you're putting in capital, there's eventually dilution, and you have to believe that over the long term they're going to make up. It's a software business, capital light, right? So there's only you know you make upfront investments in sales and marketing to actually get in. It's going to be very sticky, right? So it should be a cash flow generator at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in times like this, people are do you know people are worried about you know. How fast are you gonna grow? How much time is it gonna actually take you to be? If it was gonna take you two years to get to scale, previously is it gonna now take you three years or four years to get to scale, right? So I think those are genuine questions uh, to ask. Um, I take a little comfort in the fact that it's a healthcare company, right? Mm. So um, healthcare typically is one of the last things that gets affected in any downturn. Um, You know, like, I mean, If you think you're going to have breast cancer, it's something that you really can't defer, right? Um, If you are on the breast cancer screen, then you'll get a letter saying you should screen yourself, right? It's not like buying the shoe, which can be deferred, Um, you know, buying the new jeans, which can be deferred. It's not really discretionary in that sense, right? It's not discretionary. People do still defer healthcare because, you know, you could always think that I could take my screening test next month.
0: Yeah, six months yeah, yeah. down
1: the lane but it's it's less discretionary in that sense versus a jeans or a new sunglasses and so there's sure, some comfort sure. in that um yeah well i mean i overall like the description of the company uh but it's still pretty small pretty risky in that sense it's still burning capital um so yeah
0: beautiful my question from chris um this one's probably directed to me although you do as well i think he says uh top podcast lads been listening forever excellent thank you chris Stop trying to make us feel old, mate. Uh, last few weeks, you've been talking about airlines and government cash. Wouldn't you say it's wrong for the government to force an airline to cease their business for three or six months and not provide compensation? What do you reckon, Doc? The, the government said you can't fly. Shouldn't they have to cough up?
1: Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, uh, but I mean, at the same time, the retailers could say the same thing, right? the government said you can't open your store or you can't, or, or to restaurants, right? Or you can't run your restaurants. Um, right. So should the government now be paying them? I mean, yes. And I mean, in, in, in principle, maybe, but I mean, again, it comes to the fact that, you know, this is a, so here's another way to think about this, right? Suppose this was not a virus, but a war. Mm. Then too, your Company could have been disrupted, right? I yeah. mean, is yeah. the government responsible for an an external aggression? This is an external aggression in that form, right? There is a yeah. virus which is external, which comes, you know the government didn't do this. Doing its best, it's doing very well. Um, you know, you know it has its responsibility protecting society, um, you know, society and human beings. You know, if people survive, then the society, the economy will survive, kind of thing. So right, right, right. right. So I think that that's that. I mean, should the government provide support? Maybe some. E- This is, I don't want to get into ideological debate, but, you know, there is a question of, um, the government did some, right? So it basically waived fees and stuff that it charges um, for the air rights, right? Because that's something that the government tightly controls. Um, Mm. So it did that. Could it do more? Could it have taken a stake? You know, those are, those are. To some extent, economic questions. To some extent, ideological questions. Um, there's always more that could have been done. For example, could have been an equity infusion. You know, you could buy. You know, for like ten cents on the dollar, um, is taken to the into an airline. Uh, I think it's complicated to large extent, especially in the case of Virgin, largely because I think the ownership of Virgin has got a lot of other foreign airlines, which in turn are then owned by sovereign entities, and and then it gets into. Um, it gets gets into a territory which not is just ideological, but you know could become political, and you know there's like intergovernmental in the issues. So I don't really have a strong view, but like yeah, like I mean, I think the argument there is a fair argument, I think, but the argument can be extended to every other sector, industry that has been affected. So.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with that, Doc. I, I'm a little more strident than you. I'm, I'm always happy to go out and further on a limb uh, than you are. Maybe I'm just uh, less uncomfortable causing offense. So you're probably a nicer bloke than me. Um, Chris, I think it's a very fair question because it's, it's the right question to ask about how we want to frame public policy. This is absolutely a policy question, which does kind of tend to ideology at some point. My general thought is that businesses are businesses that are risk takers by definition, right? The government doesn't say to you when you start a business, we will, you can start this business and we won't change anything about your business conditions for the life of the business. You start a business knowing that your competitors might turn up and they don't have to pay you if they take your customers away. Uh, your customers themselves might just not like your business, they don't have to pay. To think the government should pay because it's taken some decisions that aren't great for your business is kind of like, I think, I think we're misplacing where we think the risks should sit. If you're, if you're an owner of capital and you're investing with a hope to get some sort of return a year, maybe it's 10%, to pick a number, you're taking a risk to do that and risk includes changes to government regulation. Um, the government shouldn't have had to pay, uh, you know, um, taxi companies if it made them put seatbelts in the cars, because that's just a public safety question. If the government wants to impose a sugar tax at some point, should it have to pay off the sugar cane farmers because, you know, it's, it's a better public health outcome. No. I mean, the reality is you take a position in a company, in a commercial enterprise, knowing things could change. Think, We want a society where, I remember the government is the taxpayer, right? So should we have to pay, should I have to pay Qantas to not fly so I don't get sick? I just don't see how that's uh, the right approach. So fair question. In my mind though, when you play it through and Doc's point about every other business, every other time, uh, you know, if the government takes away car parking on your street, you have to pay every shop money because they took away car parking. Uh, You know, the, the, the list is endless of things that could happen. I think we need to remember, and particularly as investors, it's a really great question because it's a reminder that stuff happens, right? It is going to happen for a million different sources. I don't think there should be an assumption that a government is there to, you know, not get in the way of business if there is a bigger purpose. Now, I'm all for, by the way, removing red tape and not doing stuff that isn't useful, but if there's a net benefit, if, if, if the society represented by its government decides that things should change, I think that's fair. I don't think it should have to pay to, you know, to, to kind of accommodate um, every change. You can't make everybody whole in the economy. Uh, otherwise, the reverse is true. We shouldn't quite have to pay me because they're taking some of my tax dollars. It, it kind of becomes circular at some point. So business is business. We take risks as investors. They need to be priced in. If you're not getting a high enough reward, don't buy the shares. If you are, then you're allowing for that sort of stuff to happen. I think Doc's made the point a few times over the last couple of weeks. The reality is we all should be mentally and financially prepared to have buffers in our, in our processes and our, in our wallets uh, for things that may be not great for our companies, but are worth doing at a government level. And I think we should always believe that the economy serves society, not the other way around. Doc, any thoughts on that?
1: No I, think you, yes. no, I think you're spot on there, so I will not add anything to it.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> Question from Paul, mate. Hi, Scott and Doc. I've been on board as a Motley subscriber about a week. Welcome, Paul. Really enjoying it. Pulling levers on my ComSec. I'm not sure that... uh, I don't don't know you should be pulling levers on the ComSec. Paul but knock yourself out. He says, I am curious though. What are your thoughts on cryptocurrency? I've been in it for a while and I plan to stay in it for the long haul. I won't consider whatever you tell me as investment advice. I'm just interested in how veteran investors like you guys see it. Cheers from Paul. Doc, cryptocurrency, yay or nay?
1: Well, you know, I'm... Very ambivalent on cryptocurrency. Largely, I am not an investor in cryptocurrency, and the, 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 largely the reason I am not a fan of cryptocurrency or any other, you know, things like Bitcoin and so on is I am still yet to figure out what purpose it solves that <laughs> a digital sovereign currency does not. Right. So I'm all in favor of getting rid of all the paper. <laughs> and we are already doing a fantastic job in this, you know, Corona crisis where, you know, I, there are shops that are basically refusing to take cash. I, I'm absolutely in favor of, you know, a cashless society, but I don't right. understand why the Aussie dollar needs to, you know, be replaced with, uh, you know, uh, uh, coin 101 or whatever it is, right? Go so, the coin, <laughs> coin it is. So, um, uh, yeah, Go like, coin. I'm, Full coin, All right, you know, I'll take full coin actually. <laughs> so, but, but 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 yeah, I I yeah. So I'm not. I see there's some technical benefits of uh, you know uh, digital currencies. There's some technical benefits of cryptocurrency, uh, but I am not sure what pain point it solves. So I am I'm watching in the side from the sidelines to see what's, where the tech is going to go in terms of solving pain points, and maybe at that point it becomes interesting. Um, or maybe, you know, the reserve banks of the world start adopting cryptocurrency in a way of shape or form and they basically, instead of issuing currency, they issue cryptocurrency. At that point, I will become interested. Um, okay. So right now, I may watch it from the side. I try to watch the news, but I'm not speculating on cryptocurrency.
0: I agree with that. I the, the, Here's the thing. I think your point about, you know, what does, it, what does it do that sovereign currency doesn't do? I think part of the answer for those who are fans of cryptocurrency is it's not. A sovereign currency, and so you could kind of lump that group with the gold investor group, because again, what does gold do that currency doesn't do? Well, if you believe that you want to be differentiated from that currency, maybe that's the answer. So, the hard part is as a as a as a as a, as a medium of exchange, to use that um, boffany term, the idea, as you say, mate, that you can you can exchange. You know, I can send you something on PayPal or I'm sure it's an Apple Pay version or something. I can send you some money on your mention. Um, the, the, uh, you, know, I can cash, you can send me cash digitally, we can spend money at the shops digitally. The transaction process with Bitcoin seems to me, I agree, completely superfluous and, and frankly just, um, you know, it, it's unnecessary addition. Those who invest in it though would say that there is some degree of store of currency which may well take the place of gold at some point, which is if you don't want to be in cash or you don't want to be in Australian dollars, you don't want to be in shares, then Bitcoin is the answer because it's neither of those things. And it's something that's different, can't be hacked, it's private. Uh, there, are, there are kind of use cases that I think are not unreasonable for as, as ideas. The question we have is, is that does that mean Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency is the solution to the problem? It's one of those things where I think to my mind, Bitcoin is really cool tech, like really clever, but also it's kind of a, it's an easy answer to a problem no one's got. Or, or maybe it's just, the problem is real, but the answer can be anything that happens to fit that void, right? Why not gold? Why not coin Why not anything else? There are reasons why crypto can be attractive and not. There's a reason why the blockchain ledger can be attractive and not. It's it's too fu- too much of a, um, it's too long a bow to draw to say that, therefore Bitcoin is the answer to, or any cryptocurrency is the answer to my mind. You know, you can, the problem can be real. The answer can be plausible. That doesn't necessarily mean that one plus one must equal two. You can, there are other problem, other solutions to the same problems uh, that may well be not Bitcoin or not other cryptocurrencies. I think it's really interesting and cool. Maybe it does really well. I think your ambivalent answer is the right one because I don't know what happens next. Um, it relies a lot on sentiment, right? It relies on enough people saying, yeah, we agree. Because it, no, it has no fundamental, um, it has no, like like currency, it has no fundamental value. It only has the value we impute to it, right? A, 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 a purple plastic bit of a purple bit of plastic with a five written on the front, is it worth $5? It only represents $5 that you and I agree is $5. And therefore, if I want to buy a coffee, you'll accept my plastic note in exchange for some beans and milk. That, that's the, you know, it has no absolute intrinsic value. I thought we will believe it's worth. If Bitcoin gets to that point or any other cryptos, then, then they'll be fantastic. And maybe they're worth more than they are today. Will it get there? How will it get there? How long will it take to get there? There's unanswerable questions, right? They become articles of faith for, for a while now, I think. All right, let's move on to Anthony's question. Um, you ask Scott and Doc. I was wondering if you could spend some time in a general but not advisory way. Thank you for understanding our requirements, Anthony. Explaining the move of the stock code AVH from Australia to the US and what the implications are for any investors. Any views on the SPP, the share purchase plan announced this week on the podcast. The podcast is, of course, Brilliant. And you and Doc make it so. Thanks, Anthony. Anthony, you've, you've done nicely by uh, throwing a compliment at the end. Uh, so, Doc, we see lots of companies that are either listing directly in, a, in the U.S. or moving from here to the U.S. Lots of stuff going on and changing homicide. So, AVH is a Vita Medical. I don't know if you know anything about the company. I don't know much about it. Um, I, I know kind of broadly what it does, but probably not the biggest question here. The, the question would be, if you're a Vita or if you're an eager company, why would you change your listing from Australia to the US? What's in it for them?
1: Well, like, so, uh, I mean, I don't know that company. I know of the company, uh, but no, don't follow that company closely. I mean, so see, it could be like an opportunistic thing, right? So Vita Medical is a, is a, a biotech company. Yep. Um, and- uh, spray
0: on skin, by the way, which is super cool.
1: Yeah. So, so there are a couple of other companies like, you know, uh, I think, you know, yeah. it's for, uh, like Polynova also does something similar, but it's for Burns, Correct. right? Um, yeah. uh, so what, so, so here, here's a little bit of a genesis here. The, the, the biotech industry, I mean, it, if it needs funding, you can <laughs> go to, you know, private investors or the VCs, or you could get funded by uh, like a big biotech or, um, you know, you need to have a certain size to list in, say, the U.S. market, right? The Australian market has got, at the small cap end, a uh, very good presence. There's a lot of fund managers who work in that, in the small cap space. And there's enough money in the Australian stock market. So, therefore, it attracts a lot of the smaller companies to come here. Right. so we get an attractive pool, um, and then you know we have things like you know uh, share placement plans. You can do equity raises and things like that. We can do equity mm-hmm. raises everywhere else, but you know you have share placement plans and you've got rights issues. The so it's it's a great place for raising money, especially if you're a small company. Um, mm-hmm. So my guess is Avita came here um, and chose to list on the ASX and raise some funds when it was small and it would have been harder for it to raise money on say NASDAQ or NYC, I don't know where they're going. Um, or, or, and, and now maybe they feel that as a larger biotech can raise money there and there's more money there to raise a much larger market and maybe assess an opportunistic move on their part. Maybe it makes it easier for them to partner um, with, uh, you know, international biotechs that are listed overseas and then get, Mm. you know, get them to have a stake and things like that. I don't know. (laughs) Or it could be that, you know, um they run out of options here and they're probably looking at <laughs> options i really don't know what's going on yeah. uh if i had to guess i would I'd guess that it's just you know it's maybe maybe a size thing at this size they feel that they could probably get more capital um in the u.s markets versus here mm-hmm. um so again i'm just making this up and i'm really speculating because i don't know actually what the underlying Stories. Uh, I believe the company is actually a U.S. based company, so I mean, of course, there's that. So if Avita Medical is a U.S. based company and listed here, maybe there are. It's the regulatory environment. You know, it becomes it becomes complex because you're listing here. You're um, you're listed here, so you have listing requirements to follow. But your your taxation is there, so it adds additional complexity. So maybe it's just a simplification thing But if you can list now overseas you go back and list there because you know you're headquartered there so those would be my guesses again i am purely speculating so uh, i actually know nothing about Uh, the details uh,
0: i I know i know a little more than that um i think look at i find myself on two sides of this conversation doc i i I really desperately dislike companies that spend too much time worrying about the share price not enough time on their business and i'm not suggesting you believe as that company but Businesses that are, you know, out there trying to change this listing, change that listing, try and get a high valuation here or there, or a list here or there, you know, it's it's maxed often, not in the leader's case necessarily, of kind of share price management and and you know, when really all you know, if you if you if you build a business, the share price will follow, right? It just will. And so there's some sense that the more time they spend trying to play funny buggers with the share listing, the less time they're spending actually building the business. So on that level. I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's challenging to me. On the other hand, if a company's job or management's job is to maximize the long-term value for shareholders and you think you can get a valuation that's twice as big in the US as here, then I kind of, you know, why wouldn't you, right? Like if, if, you know, if you and I could do our jobs and get twice as much money in America as here, just for doing exactly the same job, you know, if our wife said, "Well, you're only doing that to get more money," it's like, "Yeah, that's kind of exactly what we're doing." You know, on one level, I can't kind of, I, I can't criticize them for for wanting to, to build shareholder wealth. that's genuinely going to happen. So I find myself stuck really between the two. In a perfect world, it wouldn't matter where you were. Well, listed, the valuation it would be what it was, and the capital access would be what it was. In a in a globalized world, I'd still like to believe that's true, but I I also think at some level. It, yeah, you know, if your job is to maximize value of shells, how could you, if you could add a billion dollars to the market cap, if I'm not going to because I don't want to move to the US, shells would also reasonably be able to say, well, you're costing me money here and, you know, you're not you're not fulfilling your duty to me as a as a director. So I kind of, I find myself in two minds on it. It's probably one of those things that probably shouldn't be true, but it is. And if it is, I guess maybe they're, they're obliged to try and do the right thing. Sound fair? Yeah,
1: again, as I said, I really don't know what's, uh, yeah. I mean what's what's going on here i mean only in the only thing i can say is that the share price maxed at 82 cents and it's now down to 45 cents so yeah. but it was a five cent ten cent share for a long time so i really don't know um but it seems to have a market cap of nearly a billion so mm.
0: um, be, yeah. uh, i do i as i do i do um uh, yeah really cool tech Look, these are if there's any justice in the world, if there's any karma, I don't really believe in karma, if there's any, these businesses deserve to be successful, right? They're literally kind of inventing brand new medical procedures and stuff. It's like, it's same as Volpara. You think, man, like, you know, the people who are behind this stuff, I'm really super glad. Fiona Wood apparently started this, who was, I think, Australian of the Year, certainly a burn surgeon in Perth, from memory. Um, I mean, if people deserve to be successful, right, and bring their technologies to market and get a bigger market for them, then, man, the more of these guys succeed, compared to, you know, poker machine makers or, or you know, banks or something, I'm, I'm all for that. All right. Question from Adrian, mate. Um, he says, Hey team, just wanted to ask Doc a question on the podcast as to what he thinks about Jack Dorsey. says, I'm asking, cause I know how much Doc loves Elon seeing as Jack is seen as that non-conventional CEO like Elon, where he's CEO of two companies. Now Jack Dorsey is the CEO of Twitter, the online social media platform we all know and square many people won't know, but it's now a, a payment kind of technology slash platform kind of rivaling the Visa and MasterCard networks in some ways, but Doc, you'll have a better way to do it. And has been booted out of his own company as CEO. Also, does Doc have an opinion on Square, the company? He says, I understand it's not an ASX listed business. All right, Doc, so Adrian, Jack Dorsey, um, famously CEO of Twitter. He had his battles there. Uh, CEO of Square as well. Are they still CEO of both businesses? I don't know what's going on there. What's, What's the Jack Dorsey story? Do you like him? And what do you think of Square?
1: Oh, I actually really like like Jack Dorsey. Um, I'm a big fan of Jack Dorsey, largely because I like his approach. Um, So he was CEO and co-founder of uh, Twitter. Then he had left and then he's back. Um, And he has always been with uh, the CEO of Square. What I I really like about Jack is, um, you know, he's got some, he said, what's some cool ideas? Like, for example, in the middle of this uh, mm. Corona crisis, he he took out 28% of his shareholding in, 28% of his wealth, I believe, he put into a trust, which mm. he said, okay, he's going to put towards fighting Corona right now. And then he's going to publicly disclose um, the, the funding that he's going to give out to uh, things like, you know, NGOs and, you know, other small organizations and things like that. So I like his philanthropic approach. I like how he runs his companies. He gives um, his CFOs and COOs a lot of room. Right. He hires for diversity, and again, I like those people because you know they, he hires for diversity, and, and hires really high quality talent for diversity. Which you know, as I've, I've seen, for example, like that has happened at Square. Um, you know, so he had uh, his uh, CFO was Sarah Freer, Uh and she, absolutely smart woman, but she was the first engineer from her family from somewhere in you know some village in Scotland, right? That is sure. really cool as, as, a, as you know, hiring someone and then grooming that person, that person personally not to become a CEO of another company. Uh, now he has hired um, uh, someone called uh, Amrita Ahuja, and I I've seen her first interview uh, after she became CFO, and, you know, really shaky, well-spoken, but, you know, not, not polished. And, you know, yeah. within the six months, you, you see, you know, that, that, you know, it's basically become someone that, you know, is very fluent in explaining the company really great that, you know, it becomes the, the face of the company in that sense. So yeah. I, I like his approach, like his style. Um, you know, I like sort of that approach where you create a culture of, um, of training people, innovating, creating these people who can then go on to do other things, mm. uh, which is really good. So yeah, so I'm invested in Square, not in Twitter. Um, Square is a company I really like. Again, as you said, it's, it's kind of like, it's a mix of, you know, the best example would be it's a, little, it's a bit like Tyro in Australia, right? So they right. basically have Fpost machine equivalents. Um, so they take transactions for small businesses. They also provide loans to small businesses. Um, and they provide software to small businesses, right? So it's right. A basically a uh, SMB supporter in that sense, mm-hmm. right? And it's helping companies go online. It's helping companies, you know, become... Smarter, efficient, set up managing its cash and so on. So it's it's in that. It's sort of a movement towards. If you think about the war on cash, and it's that basically what <laughs> it's for. They're enabling. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And they, so it's a fast-growing company. Um, yeah. Again, you know, if you believe in sort of the movement towards um, towards uh, you know cashless society, and if you believe in. Uh, a lot of companies going online, a lot of small, small businesses, innovative you know, offering, making it easy for businesses to, people to start businesses. Um, I think that's sort of their thing. So it's not just small businesses, they also support larger enterprises, but yeah. So it's, it's a highly competitive area, as you said, you know, they're competing with, with the, with the established MasterCards and you know, visas and things like that. But, uh, yeah.
0: And you're I really share, so I assume you uh, like the long-term prospects of the business.
1: No, I own the shares again. I, you know, I, I own the shares, and you know they've been they've been good. They they're growing pretty fast. Their you know gross merchandise volume has been growing really really fast, and you can start seeing sort of. And it's one of those. This is the type of business where you need scale, right? So yeah. like any other payments business, you basically you have a lot of upfront investment and then uh, scale. They're uh, you know they they do other cool things like uh, you know cash transfers between. Uh, people using the cash app, for example, which is the most popular transfer uh, cash mm-hmm. distribution app on the App Store, on the Apple App Store. Um, yeah. So, again, innovative, fast-moving, cool, um, with, with, a, with a leader who has got a bent for philanthropy and, you know, building skills. Uh, and training up people. So I like all of those traits. The reason I like those traits is that you know, people like this tend to build an organization, which is forward thinking, very innovative and fast moving and agile. Um, so yeah, I like it. Very nice dude. I, uh, I
0: have to say, I occasionally see the square devices, you'll see them a lot around if you're dealing with people who are at the local coffee cart, when we used to be able to go outside, um, the coffee cart at my my low school when you had like weekend sport and stuff. Um, like a little tap, a square terminal, you just tap it, like you know, just tap and go type terminal, a little white one, a square one, funnily enough. Um, Adrian actually loves square. He absolutely loves loves it, and it's great for his business. And you know, it's it's a cool tech. So have a look around when you when we do get back out into the world. You may see more square terminals than maybe you would have you would have expected. Thank you, Adrian, for that question. Question from Chris, mate. He says, "Hey, Scott and Doc, appreciate the podcast and insights." You're welcome, mate. Thank you for your kind words. Had a general question for you both. How should we perceive an acquisition or a buyout of a company that we have shares in? Generally, is it a positive or a negative investment in relation to our, sorry, outcome in relation to our investment? So say that again. Generally, is it a positive or negative outcome in relation to our investment? What do you say, mate?
1: Oh, the answer would be depends, right? I will,
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what does it depend on?
1: Well, it depends on like I mean, if 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 for example uh, my the shares of a company I own they're beaten down, right? Let's say because of Corona crisis, <clears throat> and somebody comes in and scoops it and buys <clears throat> shares that I think over the long term are going to be worth a lot more, and they buy it for the dollars and the cent, or right. cents on the dollar, then I'm losing out. Right. Right. If they're paying me a fair value for a company, um, and then maybe it's okay, right? I mean, typically, if I own a here, here's my problem with with buyouts. Typically, I would own companies that I think have good long-term prospects, mm. right? And unless people are paying a substantial premium uh, for an acquisition, um, then often often the acquisition is actually not really in 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 my favor. But uh, the other way to think about that is, you know, if somebody can give you you know, the gains that you're going to have in two years time now, so they give you like a nice decent premium, you know, 30, 40% premium to complain. Maybe you got the cash upfront, maybe you can invest it in something else. So uh, again, it really depends on, you know, if I'm getting paid well for, uh, for my shares or not. That's my view.
0: Yeah, I think I, think I agree, Matt. It's, it's a hard one, right? I think if the market, if the market was perfectly efficient, then the share price we'd be paying now would already factor in all that future you talked about, mate. So all that, all that long-term future we're hoping for would already be reflected accurately in the price, in which case, if we're being taken out at a premium, it's like, well, the price was already fair. We, you know, now, now that that premium obviously is better than fair, so we're getting an extra profit. And that's certainly the markets in, that, that's what the market infers, right, by definition, because any share price is the sum total of all the buying and selling demand. And so the market is saying, this, this company is worth a buck a share right now. And if you get $1.20, well, hey, you're getting a 20% premium to that. That's a, that should be a good deal. And it would be true if, to your point, Doc, if we could never actually pick stocks and beat the market, we, you know, to do that, you've actually got to buy them at a cheaper price than they're actually worth. So if this is a $2 share trading get a buck, then that's why we're buying it in the first place because we think it's worth more than the market does. If we're taking at $1.20, <clears throat> then we get some upside from the current share price, but nowhere near the full value we'd otherwise get if we held the shares to fruition, right? If Amazon was taken public, taken out at nine dollars, ten dollars, hundred dollars, $1, thousand dollars a share, now at two thousand, we would have missed out on the meantime. Now you could invest that money somewhere else, or maybe you get more investing in another company. But generally speaking, that's the problem. So I think, honestly, if you buy, if you own shares in a business, you're expecting long-term market beating compound growth. Otherwise, don't own them. Buy something else, or buy the index. If you believe that, and you, then from any price, whatever the current price, if you still own the shares you're still believing inherently the future is brighter than the market believes it is. Again, otherwise you'd sell. So most of the time, unless you're being offered a stupendous premium, I would see a buyout as a negative for my expected wealth creation over that long-term again, as Doc's already said. I think it's actually most egregious when business is having a short-term problem that the market can't necessarily see or won't see through. An example is Treasury Wines. I didn't own the shares, but I want to say three or four years ago, I own them now for the record. Three or four years ago, Doc, I think it was, there was a lowball bid for Treasury at $2 a share, something like that, um, because the, the market didn't see or didn't believe that Treasury could do what it was going to, or planned to do. And so the, 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 the potential buyout was going to be at, a, at a, a meaningful premium to that. And at the time, there was a great, decent portion of shelves who said, hey, well, shares have sucked for a while, we're being offered something more than the current share price, we should take it. The business said, no, 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 trust us, say no, because we're going to create more value down the track. Now, that could have worked out two ways, right? Management could have been wrong or unlucky or, or, or lying or, or just too ego driven. In the event, they created enormous additional value and anyone who sold out treasury back then has rooted ever since. Now, shares have been higher, they've come back recently, but they're still well and truly above that takeover offer the price. So that's kind of the important part here is if the business is going to keep doing well, particularly if it's in a period of short-term pain, that's the great time, by the way, if you're a buyer to come and snap up a bargain. That's what we're trying to do now, right? As investors, we're trying to look through the market and actually buy shares now at a 20-ish percent discount to what they were on February 20, 25% discount. Um, if we get them for that price and they are they were worth a buck now, they're now selling for 75 cents. And of course, we're buying them now for that price. And if you're selling right now, you're giving me a bargain and thank you, but I kind of, you know, I hope our listeners aren't doing it. I hope it's other people I'm buying shares from. But that's that's kind of the challenge. You know, it is... Those times, and frankly, when we talk about, say, foreign buyers, for example, that tend to have longer time horizons than, than maybe some locals, that's when I kind of feel like the country maybe is not doing as well as it might because we're selling off assets for the cheap because we're factoring in too much short-term pain, not enough long-term gain. So generally, I'm unhappy if my company gets taken off me because I genuinely believe the long-term future is brighter than the market currently does. So the premium you're getting to the current price is a nice free money in the kick. I'm getting twenty rather than dollar. How can I be unhappy with that? The answer is if I think it's worth two dollars, then I'm actually getting taken. You know, part of the discount I think I see is not good to me. It's been taken out by somebody else, who's then going to benefit from that extra money. All right. Well, that's been a fantastic mailbag episode. Uh, We've we've struggled through on Zoom. We had a couple of technical issues on the way through. Hopefully, our listeners have avoided most of those. Uh, Thank you for your questions. The good news is the mailbag has still got some letters left in the bottom of them, virtual letters. So, but for today, I was gonna say that wraps up. It doesn't really because I want to tell people that they can join your service, Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities, Doc. They can go to fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. And if you like the cut of Doc's jib, if you like the sort of companies he talks about, the investments that he looks at, and you want to get a recommendation every single month for less than the price of a cup of coffee a week, I reckon that's a pretty good deal. I think it's a very good deal. Um, Doc thinks it's too cheap I think it's too cheap Luckily for you We don't set the prices So if you want to join EO Join Kevin Gandia And and, and Ivan Mahanti Doc Mahanti At EO We would recommend you do so So go to fool.com.au Forward slash EO podcast Have a look At the very very Super attractive And frankly Way too cheap Price that's being offered for you To join EO for a year I'm pretty sure You're going to learn An absolute heap And hopefully make some money On the side From joining Doc and Kevin Inside EO all right, that ad out of the way, that does wrap us up. So don't forget, before we go, subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please throw us some stars, give us a rating, just be kind, be nice. And also tell your friends, we're sure they could do with a little foolish straight talk as well. Of course, speaking of that, you can get a dose of foolishness and an offer for one of our services by going to fool.com.au forward slash
1: Triple M. Triple
0: M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money Mailbag. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program
1: may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at
0: fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license
1: 400691.